You're listening to the Field Goals Podcast. I am Dan Viennes. Welcome back. Or if it's your first time listening, welcome in. Please subscribe. Then you'll get notifications of any new episode. You won't miss anything. Like and review, depending on which podcast platform you listen on. That really helps the podcast as well. Thank you for your support. We're going to look ahead to tomorrow's game. Kickoff at 125 at Lumen Field between the Seahawks and the Falcons. Week 3. Don't lose sight of this. Your first place, Seattle Seahawks. All four teams in the NFC West currently deadlocked at 1-1. One and one. And man, I'm telling you, I mentioned it on the last show, but the, the more I look at this matchup, the more intrigued I am by it. I think it's going to be a terrific barometer where this roster is, where this team is, where these young players are, where they might be headed this season. Because look, I've talked to some people about this, and as long as they're in this kind of a process, and to some extent, this is just how the NFL is as a whole, but especially when you're a team kind of on the brink like this, where you're in transition in some areas of the roster, you've added a bunch of young players to the roster, a lot of first-year players. Some Sometimes it's not about how good you are. It's just about how well you play. And that might sound oversimplistic, but it's one of the things I love about football. That it's on a weekly basis. You have all this time to analyze and build up to it. And then at the end of the day, when you show up on Sunday, you don't know what's going to happen. Best team in the league can be playing the worst team in the league. I talked about it on the last show. Every roster in this league has a bunch of talent on it. And football is about execution, preparation, strategy, emotion, mindset, right? The San Francisco 49ers aren't going to beat the Seahawks 10 times out of 10 if they play each other. The Seahawks just didn't show up and play well Sunday. Now, they're not as talented of a team as the 49ers, not right now. And so out of 10, I don't know, we can we can argue how many times the Seahawks would win. Maybe three, maybe four. But they got to play well, and they just didn't. And whether that's because they were coming off the high of the Russell Wilson matchup on Monday Night Football to open the season or not, really doesn't matter. So now you're coming into a, a home game, coming off a bad loss. How's this team going to bounce back? How are they going to prepare? And who are they facing? They're facing a team that in many ways might be intriguingly similar. The Atlanta Falcons, 0-2, coming off a close loss to the New Orleans Saints in week one. And then almost completing the comeback, coming all the way back after being down big against the Rams in week two to fall just short. So they're 0-2 with two close losses to very good teams. So how do they stack up against the Seahawks? I have enlisted the help of Aaron Freeman. Aaron hosts the Locked on Falcons daily podcast. And we weren't able, uh, we talked throughout the week a number of times, we just weren't able to sync our schedules up so that I could have him on live. But I wanted an opponent's perspective. And so I, I sent him some questions. He sent me some answers. I'm going to give you his take on a couple of things. Maybe we can get a little better understanding of the, the Falcons team the Seahawks are going to face tomorrow. Falcons, of course, led by Marcus Mariota this year. They signed him to a two-year deal as a um, 
as a stopgap bridge type quarterback after, of course, trading away team legend, longtime quarterback, Matt Ryan, former first pick in the draft. He's now in Indianapolis. So that in itself was a big transition. Last year, they hire Arthur Smith, the offensive coordinator from Tennessee, takes over as head coach. He's in his second season now. They've spent some high draft picks on skill positions the last couple of years. 2020, A.J. Terrell, the long, lanky quarterback. Last year, Kyle Pitts, the uber-athletic tight end. There were some questions and criticisms last year about his usage. Did they get the most out of him? This year, they go Drake London, the big, tall receiver out of USC that people in this area are familiar with from his time at the Trojans. And so they're definitely in, I don't know if you call it a full-scale rebuild, but anytime you trade away your franchise quarterback, in that sense, another similarity. Except they went a different direction. You know, the Seahawks went with Geno Smith, a guy who was in their program, had been the backup for the last four years. Falcons chose not to do that. They went outside the organization, signed Mariota, the former, former high draft pick, didn't work out in Tennessee, had a bunch of injury issues. Moved on from there. Tennessee went with Ryan Tannehill. Mariota lands in Oakland, now Las Vegas with the Raiders. Had a couple of moments where he, where he got to play and Carr got hurt. Looked good at times. Has always been injury prone, though. And then the Falcons go out and they draft Desmond Ritter out of Cincinnati, a quarterback that Seahawk fans are familiar with because... He was really the only, he, he was, I believe, the only quarterback prospect in the draft that visited Seattle. There was a lot of reported interest. He was there for the taking in the third round. Seahawks chose not to take him. Marcus Mariota was there for the taking. Pete Carroll said this week that he, he's always liked him. They could have signed him. They felt like they were in better hands with Geno Smith. Falcons have had some issues on defense the last couple of years. Really struggled to find pass rush. In that sense, again, similarities. It's going to be a fascinating matchup. Here's some of the things that I that I threw Aaron's way. Really wanted to get his take on him. First of all, I just wanted to give him, get an overall view of how he felt about the Falcons roster. Here's what he said. I feel better about the Falcons roster than I did heading into the season. I was very concerned about how this team would hold up in the trenches on either side of the line of scrimmage, and I've been pleasantly surprised how well things have worked thus far. The defensive front was able to get four sacks in week one and keep Alvin Kamara mostly in check. They also rushed for 201 yards on the off- offensive side of the ball, only gave up one quarterback hit and no sacks to a very, very good New Orleans Saints defense. Then in week two, kept Aaron Donald fairly quiet. So Aaron says, it thus far gives me hope that a position group that was expected to be a massive liability this year will at least be serviceable, if not outright decent, this season. That offensive line he talks about, former Husky, name will be familiar to a lot of you, Caleb McGarry, on the right side. And on the left side, uh, they they spent a first-round draft pick on Jake Matthews, Gosh, nine years ago now. Man, time flies. Our old friend. Uh, where is it? I completely blank. I was just looking at their roster. 
And uh, uh, Jermaine Effetti is on their roster. <laughs> May see our old friend Jermaine Effetti. Uh, but but he said pleasantly surprised with how the offensive line has played. That Seahawks pass rush got pressure on Russ week one. Didn't affect the passer enough in week two at all. Uchenna Nwosu was running around making some plays. Boy, Amafe had a couple of pressures. Be interesting to see if we get see more from him this week. And then, of course, as we talked about in the last show, really need to see a bounce-back game from Daryl Taylor. I don't know if it's the adjustment to the new scheme, if they're using him differently. Really thought he was going to affect the passing game off the edge. Hasn't happened. We'll see how he does against this offensive line that Aaron Freeman says played pretty well the last couple of weeks. My second question, wanted to ask him in his second season how he felt about Arthur Smith so far and how he was performing as a head coach. Aaron says, I was not a huge Arthur Smith fan after his first season, but I believe the team has improved significantly in his second year. The main things I was looking for was better play calling, which I feel has been somewhat achieved, and a more competitive team against quality opponents. The Falcons were clearly outclassed and outright dominated against most of their opponents that were playoff teams last year. It's been a small sample size, just two games, but their ability to get up early against the Saints and come back from down big against the Rams signals those days may be over. So he's feeling pretty good about their second-year head coach. And you have to wonder, too, Arthur Smith, being an offensive guy, probably has a little bit of a leash to work with here because the organization committed to a bridge quarterback. He's probably not going to be fully judged until they choose and commit to a young quarterback, and then we'll see if he can develop him. So I wanted to talk about the quarterbacks. How have you felt about the performance of Marcus Mariota the first two weeks? It's kind of the answer I expected. Aaron says Mariota has looked somewhat like a player that hasn't started games in earnest in nearly three years. But mostly he's looked very similar to the player he was during his final days in Tennessee, which is a serviceable bridge starter but not someone a team with playoff aspirations would be willing to hitch their wagon to. I think a loss this weekend versus Seattle makes the ticking clock on his time as a starter tick faster. I asked him how long the leash would be. And we might see Ritter at some point in October. So then I asked him about Ritter. You know, he got an up-close look at him in the preseason, did some cool things there. Aaron says Ritter was very impressive during the preseason, so I suspect the team is very high on him. I also wanted to, I, I asked him how high the organization was on him. And the reason I want to know this, as Seahawks fans, we're going to be watching the scoreboard, right? We're going to be watching the draft order because who they have an opportunity to draft at the quarterback position in the spring is going to be a combination of, obviously, how high they draft, but also who's ahead of them. And there's question marks. Teams like the Houston Texans, the Atlanta Falcons, the Detroit Lions, the Washington Commanders all have quarterbacks. But will they target quarterback with their first pick? Will the Lions be ready to move on from Jared Goff? Is Davis Mills a guy that Houston likes as much as they say they are? Enough to address other areas, and wait on quarterback, right? So he says, time will tell if they like him, excuse me, time will tell if they like him enough to pass on a quarterback if they have a top five pick. I would lean towards them riding it out with Ritter over a fresh face. 
But a lot of that will be determined by how good Ritter looks if and when he sees the field later this year. So Aaron thinks Ritter will get an opportunity to play this year, even if Mariota stays healthy. And he thinks if he plays well, the Falcons may like him enough. If they were drafting ahead of the Seahawks next year in the top five of the draft, that they might go another direction. They might address that pass rush, that defensive front. Or another area. Interesting. Then I asked him what their, what he thought their biggest weakness was and their biggest strength was. Uh, he says their balance on offense is their strength. Uh, that that presents a threat to most defenses. The way they intermingle their play-action passing attack with their run game. Now, they've had some injuries in their backfield, but we're going to see some interesting players out of that backfield tomorrow. Corderell Patterson who's kind of reinvented. Well, not kind of. He's reinvented himself. The former first-round bust as a receiver, guy that just could never, didn't catch the ball well, was criticized for not really being a good route runner, flamed out as a receiver with the Minnesota Vikings. And then the Falcons end up using him as a running back to great success last year. We just came off a game against the 49ers where we saw a dual threat player in Debo Samuel. Kind of a poor man's Debo. He's really their lead back. Damian Williams, their other uh, veteran running back, got hurt last week. And so another guy you're going to see made his NFL debut last week. He was inactive week one. Tyler Algier out of BYU. 5'11", 220. Had a prolific career at BYU running the football. Looked really good in the preseason. Uh, not an explosive runner, but a guy who's really instinctive, very physical. Uh, seems to be, to me, a guy that could be really effective in the red zone. Be interesting to see how much they lean on the rookie tomorrow. Uh, as far as weaknesses go, it's kind of been... It's been a drum they've been banging in Atlanta for years. It's the pass rush. Uh, despite getting four sacks against the Saints in the first three quarters, their pass rush has been mostly quiet in the five quarters since. And one wonders if they've regressed back to being the unit that finished last in the NFL in 21 with 18 sacks. 18 sacks in 17 games all of last year. So after facing... Bradley Chubb and Randy Gregory in week one. Nick Bosa and all those guys with the 49ers last week. And for the most part, those rookie tackles, Charles Cross at left tackle, Abe Lucas at right tackle, held up well. As well as you could expect, I think, against that kind of talent. Now they're going up against a team that struggles a little bit against, well, in rushing the passer. Maybe an opportunity for them to get their feet under them a little bit. And maybe see if the Seahawks can get that running game going. Get a little push up front. And if Geno has some time to throw, you know, Pete talked this week about unleashing him a little bit. I don't know how much of that is just strategic lip service. It's an odd thing to say, as I mentioned in the last show. Especially considering the history with Let Russ Cook and all of that. Uh, but it should give them some opportunities. 
probably their best opportunity they're going to have in a walk. Because then they're going to turn around and play the Detroit Lions with Aiden Hutchinson, and they got some guys that can get after you. So this might be at home on a day. It's supposed to be sunny and 70 degrees, beautiful conditions. If that offense can't get going tomorrow, we could be in for a long, long season on the offensive side of the ball. And we might we might start tight. If Geno comes out tomorrow and lays an egg and does nothing but dump the ball off, complete 70% of his passes, make no dynamic plays downfield, the discussion's really going to turn to does Drew Locke get a chance? Does he get a shot? Because the intriguing thing about this matchup is that these are two teams that I think are matched up pretty well in a lot of ways. I don't think either team has any one glaring advantage in any one area over the other. And Aaron agrees. My last question was just kind of, how do you assess this matchup? He says, I believe these are two evenly matched teams that have similar identities on offense, leaning heavily on the run and play action. Question marks at quarterback. Starters looking for redemption in both cases. thought that was an interesting point that can sometimes struggle to get the ball to their dynamic weapons at receiver. Mention the the criticism of not getting Kyle Pitts involved. It took him with a third pick in the draft. Extremely high for a tight end, but the consensus among the scouting community and the analytics community was this guy is such a unique talent. People wanted to put a gold Hall of Fame jacket on him the moment he was drafted. But as someone who owned Kyle Pitts in fantasy football last year, I could tell you, just didn't use him enough, didn't get him involved enough. And now you have Drake London out there on the outside. So two big red zone targets. This be a good test for the Seahawks linebackers and corners. Tariq Woolen, I would imagine, is going to be matched up with Drake London a lot. At this point in his career, though, I don't think there's any way they're going to start switching those guys and having Woolen follow guys just because they match up with him physically. He's going to play the right side. Mike Jackson's going to play the left side. Kobe Bryant's going to start in the in the nickel spot again. Justin Coleman's out again. It'd be an interesting test. Uh, Quandre Diggs has been battling a knee injury, but Pete Carroll liked how he looked yesterday. Expects him to play, but you got a lot of youth in that secondary. Will Marcus Mariota be able to take advantage of that with some of those dynamic weapons that he does have? <laughs> I love Aaron's last line. Because, you know, pointing out the similarities between these rosters, he says in a lot of ways, it's the pointing Spider-Man meme between these two teams. (laughs) Oh, I do like that. Uh, Some injury news for the Seahawks. Again, Diggs is expected to play. Uh, Austin Blythe is good to go. And there was no injury designation on him yesterday. After earlier in the week, it looked like, um, because I I think a shoulder, that he wasn't going to play. And that really concerned me because the, the downgrade, Blythe has been so solid. Um, such a great signing in the offseason. Uh, but we've seen what Kyle Fuller can do and can't do at center. Don't want to see that too much this year, no matter what the objective is of this team and this roster as we carry on throughout the season. Um, again, Justin Coleman isn't going to play, so we're going to see a lot of Kobe Bryant in the slot. And uh, Shelby Harris is out for this game as well, which is unfortunate. Their best defensive lineman, really. Um, but, it, but it'll give us a chance to see Miles Adams, uh, the young uh, kind of interior sort of a, Three technique type player, smaller defensive tackle, but we saw him in the preseason. We saw him beating guys off the line of scrimmage and getting interior pressure. He's a different dude than what they have up there. He presents a little different look. 
He's more similar to Shelby Harris than he is to Brian Monet or Puna Ford or Al Woods, obviously. So it'll be interesting to see. But to me, tomorrow, it's all about the offense. Can that running game get going against a less than elite front seven? Can Geno, if given time to throw against a questionable pass rush, make plays, get the ball downfield to his weapons, especially his most dynamic weapon, DK Metcalf, who's been a possession receiver so far to this point this season. Can he do it? Can he make plays? We'll see. Kickoff tomorrow at Lumen Field at 125. I will be there. I will provide my rapid reaction after the game. And then, of course, we'll look forward uh, to week four after that and get into more analysis. Dana will be along next week as well. Uh, Enjoy it. If you're going to the game, enjoy it. This uh, fall weather is uh, just perfect. It's outstanding. After the spring we had here in the Pacific Northwest, we deserve this fall. So let's enjoy some football. Follow me on Twitter at Seahawks Forever. Again, like, subscribe, comment, review the podcast if you can. And until then, this is the Field Goals Podcast. I am Dan Viennes. Go Hawks. Talk to you next time.